Hey everybody, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Heads up, this is uh, shorter than typical podcasts. Uh, if you if you usually uh, counted us for a good long hour of uh, of distraction while you're running or exercising, you might want to find last week's Intuitive Talks podcast. We sent it out through this channel, and they're actually kind of the 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 two sides of a, an episode I wanted to put together or a story I wanted to put together, looking at uh, different types of robotic surgery. So last week, we talked to Charlie Dean and Oliver Wagner of Intuitive. We talked about their ION system, which is an endoluminal system, and it's used in lung biopsies and treatments. And it's really uh, paving a way for new approaches to treat respiratory disease, which is fantastic. This week, I'm really excited to speak with Michael Friedrich. He is the CEO of Distal Motion. Distal Motion raised $90 million. We talked about it last week, the New Markers Newsmakers from Revival Healthcare in 415 Capital. And Distal Motion, as Michael Friedrich will explain in the interview, has created a system called Dexter, which is for laparoscopic surgery. So this is uh, not in the same area as you'll see Da Vinci. It's not in the same area as we'll someday see Hugo. It's definitely bringing robotic systems uh to places where they haven't been before. And in this case, as Michael Frederick will explain, uh, it's a system that's able to stay within the sterile surgical field. So surgeons can use it as they're working without having to move in and out of the surgical field. So it's an interesting take, very exciting company, and just an indication of where this sector is headed. So again, this particular Device Talks weekly episode is shorter than most. But if you haven't yet listened to last week's Intuitive Talks episode, and it should be right there on your list of episodes. Listen to this one and that one. That'll give you more than an hour of robotics talk. And uh, I feel like we've delivered on our promise with that. So I know you'll enjoy this conversation. Chris Newmark and I lose our minds a bit in the intro, but that's okay. I think we're both uh, both ready for spring. And uh, finally, I did want to remind you, we'll talk a lot about the uh, Device Talks Boston Conference. It's coming up on May 10th and 11th. Registration is open. We continue to add keynotes. I was hoping to have another keynote speaker to announce on this podcast, but we'll get that announcement up on the website next week. I'm, uh, I do have a keynote announcement for Minnesota, and you'll hear that in the podcast. So go to devicetalks.com to register for Device Talks Boston. And when you do, make sure you use the code DTW25. That stands for Device Talks Weekly 25, and you will save 25% off the registration. That's it. Time to start this episode. Let's go. All right. You ready for this? Ready. Chris Newmarker. How are you, sir? Good to be here, Tom. Doing well, man. Great to have you here. It is cold. Do you have your cup of coffee, Chris? I have my cup of coffee. You yes. got a cup of coffee? I got my. Go. I, I was pouring my cup when when I hopped on this call to do this with Chris, and Chris decided he needed his cup of coffee. So now we're both well caffeinated. Do you yes. drink? It, it remains below. I, yeah, I'm caffeinated. Yeah, I like this. You're caffeinated. It, it depends on the day. Yeah, you know, some days might be an herbal tea day in the Ooh. afternoon, but um, you know, this isn't. Uh, well, you can tell how much I drink my herbal tea, though, because I mean, I think I finally got through the the um, the the uh, apple cinnamon tea, like uh, just like <laughs> last week, like so, like. 
<laughs> which I mean, you don't you buy apple cinnamon tea like maybe in September. Or so, you know, I'm finally like we're finally getting done with that. You know? Don't worry, folks. We're not going to get into a pumpkin tea discussion. I, <laughs> yeah, no, Tom, we can't. We got a pumpkin embargo. No, every once in a while, no. I, tr- I try the whole tea thing. Like during, I'll be I'll be like Terry Franco, and I'll have a I'll have a green tea instead of coffee. Yeah. It'll sharpen my mind and all that stuff, and it, it takes for like a day. I'm like, no, this can't do this. I do have tea at night though. No, no, right? Because I like to. I used to have decaf right before, like while watching TV at night. Now I go with tea. Just do to- you sleepy time. Do you go the sleepy time route? <laughs> sleepy time extra. I, I don't. <laughs> I, I didn't realize there was a sleepy time extra. I'll have to look into I think, that. I think celestial seasoning says it has valerium in it. You know, it was used by the ancient Romans. I'm like, whoa, this is like some serious stuff. Right? The Romans. Wake, Those people could sleep. Those Romans. That's right. <laughs> oh, dear God. Folks, just stop listening to this podcast right now. It's sleep right. like you conquered ball again. <laughs> uh, what, was that, what was that Caesar? I was going to make I a Carthage joke. I came, I saw, I slept. Yeah, that's right. I had like a that. sleepy time extra tea and went to sleep. All right. So, my so we have our coffees. <laughs> Dear God. That was great. All right. So. We're well caffeinated or I'm well caffeinated. I don't have <laughs> yeah. caffeine, but I'm caffeinated. I, I'm sure the listeners can tell now. <laughs> yeah, they, they're going to, we are going to get a ban, like, a coffee ban. Guys, please, please no Paul, more pumpkin talk. Paul Grand doesn't need to slow down his, like, speed up his audio <laughs> this one. You know, That's right, Paul. Come on, Paul. How do we sound now, Paul? Come on, Paul. Come on. <laughs> Keep it at 1X, everybody. 1X, you're going to miss some That's of this. Right. He's genius. This genius <laughs> coming. That's right. From these There's two. art going on here, people. Art. <laughs> Oh, God. Let's oh, just goodness. roll into the new yeah, Marcus News. <laughs> this has turned into a mess. Chris, what is number five on the new Marcus Newsmakers? Number five on the list. We've got, uh, you know, Boston Scientific, uh, you know, shares took a hit uh, this week, um, you know, because, uh, you know, they, uh, you know, issued, uh, you know, guidance for the, the first quarter in 22. That was uh, 2022. That was below the uh, consensus uh, forecast. But I mean, you know, it's. Unfortunately, it's kind of par for the course. It's just been a yeah. you know, the last week or two has just been a tough, tough time for you know like with with a lot of these earnings reports. I mean, there's supply chain problems. You know, there's Omicron battering procedures. Uh, you know, there's you know, even you know talk about like problems with hospital staff shortages, and that makes it makes it harder for you know more procedures to happen. So, um, so yeah, it's uh, I mean, fingers crossed. This is uh, this is a uh, just a, a bump in the road for uh, Boston Scientific, and um, you know the uh, the analysts, you know, had different different takes on it. I saw BTIG analysts were, you know, you know, more saying that they they're saying like that the the margin cut, you know, that Boston Scientific was doing was prudent um, in, in the current environment. You know, while you know, I, I saw Mike Matson at mm-hmm. uh, Needham and Company was, you know, saying that he thought. The Boston Scientific was going to face some competitive uh, headwinds, you know, including from Abbott. You know, so they were, you know, like he was a little less uh, less optimistic. But but still, it's just you know, it's it's just another another example of just you know that it's it's been a uh, last week or two is you know overall kind of a rocky uh, you know time for earnings reports. It's not business as usual for metal device companies by any no. means. So hopefully, we'll be emerging that in the second quarter. And I'll try to I'll try to uh, make a connection for each of the new markers. So Boston Scientific. 
I'm happy to report that CEO Mike Mahoney will be speaking at Device Talks Boston. I'll be interviewing him at Device Talks Boston on May 10th. So, right. yeah, awesome. that'll be great. So uh, we'll ask Mike about uh, about emerging from the pandemic lockdown. I was going to say post-pandemic, emerging from COVID, but we know that that's not uh, not likely to happen. That COVID is going to be around for a bit. But moving on. Yes. No COVID talk. Moving on to number yeah. four on the new Marcus Newsmakers. You know, number four, uh, Medtronic uh, performed their first uh, procedure with the uh, Hugo Surgical Robot in uh, in Europe. Uh, performed, yeah, that's right. Performed in Belgium. So, you know, it c- continues to... Uh, you know, uh, roll along. It, you know, it received a CE mark approval for urologic and gynecologic procedures in uh, October uh, 2021. Uh, you know, it's uh, they, we've we've reported before that you know, Medtronic's kind of uh, seems to be taking like kind of like a Europe Europe first strategy. Like they they thought there was less ad- adoption you know, of surgical robotics in, uh, in Europe and the U.S. So it gives them kind of in to get in there and, uh, you know, kind of, you know, expand the Hugo in Europe and then, you know, kind of get back over here and, you know, take on uh, take on intuitive here in the United States. So um, competition is heating up. It's coming. And this is an easy connection. Bob White, the executive vice president and president of medical surgical portfolio for Medtronic and Megan Rosengarten, the president of, of surgical robotics at Medtronic will be uh, will be at Device Talks Boston. And this we'll, is almost like a game. It's every this is every right? maker. <laughs> uh, hey, we have somebody talking at a device talk. That's right. Great. This is a current conference, people, and, and we did not awesome. orchestrate this. We did not orchestrate this. Uh, and there'll also maybe be a special guest at Device Talks Boston. Trying to lock that one down. Oh. Hopefully, we can announce that in a couple of weeks. So, That's exciting. Uh, yes, it is. It is. Go to devicetalks.com to register. And use the code. I forgot to mention the code. Use the code DTW25, Device Talks Weekly. Well, DTW25 to save 25% off the cost of registration. So, you got to be there or be square. Absolutely. Do not be square, people. You do not That's want right. to be square. Don't want to be a square. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Newmarker, what is number three? On the new markets, newsmakers. You know, number three on the list, we have uh, BD uh, acquiring uh, Flow uh, Cytometry Solution Developer. Uh, oh goodness, let's see if I can pronounce this. Cytognos. Apologies if I pronounced that uh, incorrectly, but it's a uh, C Y T O G N O S. Yes, you know, Cytognos. Yes, uh, you know, financial uh, terms not disclosed, uh, but, um, you know, a a good quote about why this deal was important was they had, you know, a a top top executive at at BD saying that, you know, as as the understanding and treatment of cancer evolves and improves, the importance of monitoring post-remission cancer survivors has become paramount to uh, improve patient outcomes. So it's, you know, it's an acquisition, you know, know, we've seen a growing number of medical device companies increasingly becoming like disease you know, moving beyond from just being manufacturers to like doing disease right. treatment. And this seems to be like BD, you know, doing a nice tuck in acquisition to like, uh, you know, uh, get more into this trend uh, themselves. Absolutely. And of course, we had uh, Dave Hickey and Brooke Story from BD on the podcast last week. And uh, I'm happy to say that this isn't even up on the website yet. But CEO Tom Poland will be a keynote speaker at Device Talks Minnesota. It's fantastic. Yeah. So that'll be a lot of fun. And we may have, I'm this close to having a, announcing a, a senior executive from BD as a keynote in Boston. So uh, cool stuff. This is it's great. Awesome. 
This is great. Thanks for all these opportunities to plug the conference, Chris Newmark. Well, let's see if there's another. Let's see if the next one <laughs> give you a chance. This is great. It's almost like a game. Like they're all five. Let's see if we can get all five here. So number two on the list, uh, Hologic, uh, you know, uh, beat the street with uh, first quarter earnings. Uh, a great, a nice, uh, nice bright spot, you know, and, uh, you know, like a tough uh, earnings season and. You know, CEO uh, Stephen Melling was saying, like, even excluding like the COVID nineteen testing, which is had really strong demand. You know, they had robust uh, revenue growth across uh, all their franchises. So, just uh, you know, really a uh, really strong uh, earnings report for uh, Hologic. And you know, as they're doing really well, they're announcing their first. They're they're doing a national direct to consumer advertising campaign. And you know what you have to do when you go go super big on your marketing. Where do you go when you need to go super big on your marketing, Chris? You got to do the Super Bowl ad. Oh, man. Of course, the Super Bowl ad. And what will their Super Bowl ad look like? It looks like they're going to have uh, Mary J. Blige in it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. That's Sounds, awesome. Uh, yeah, going to launch at the Super Bowl, um, run through the Winter Olympics. So. We, will, we will be looking for that. And uh, we will have Mary J. Blige at Device Talk. No, we won't have Mary J. Blige. No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <he's blue. laughs> I think my streak's over. Oh, no. I mean, we certainly have had Steve McMillan on the podcast, and uh, I know we'll have Hologic folks at Device Talks yes. Boston, but there you uh, go. We're no big announcements right now. There. But, yeah. All right. All right. So what is the big number one on the Newmarkers Newsmakers list, Chris? You know, number one on the list, we just had a, a really uh, nice, you know, feature story from our associate editor, uh, Sean Hooley, that ran in full on drug delivery business news, where he talked to uh, Dr. Frank Kaufman at Asuncionics, basically about what's next. I mean- you know, they, uh, you know, they're, they're moving forward with, uh, you know, their uh, 180 day uh, GM uh, device, you know, with, with expectations, we're going to get FDA approval, uh, you know, coming soon. And you know, he was speaking with her about, hey, you know, so what's what's next in the future? And it was, uh, you know, she's saying, you know, that uh, she's kind of saying, hey, what could it be better in the future if we could eventually get to the point where we have like a one year implantable CGM? I mean, wouldn't that be just just amazing for some nope. people with diabetes that you could get something in plan for a year, just track your uh tracks your glucose levels that would be fantastic now a lot of a lot of interesting uh and in, in great diabetes news recently of course we had uh approval fda approval of insulates omnipod 5 yeah. recently and uh we will have uh, dr fran kaufman as well as uh folks from dexcom and bigfoot on the uh, device talks weekly podcast in two weeks those are interviews that sean Hooley did yeah, and we'll have an entire episode dedicated to diabetes. And going back to the conferences, Inslet CEO Shacey Petrovic will be a keynote guest at Device Talks Boston. So oh, that's awesome. Exactly. You know, and that's kind of exciting too. They can read, you know, the article right now, like, and and, and get it, get an idea of you know some of the things Sean heard in that interview. But then they can, uh, like, you know, we'll have this Device Talks, uh, you know, weekly coming up in just you know two weeks, where they get to like actually just hear the interview, you know, like even like glean even more from it. It's multimedia. You can read it with your eyes and then you can hear right. it with your ears and then you can experience it at device talks boston we are like we are just like this whole multimedia multi-dimensional experience we're the multiverse when are we going to get the device talks chip where i can just get it like downloaded in my brain like information metech information i don't want that by the way but i am just going to make a, <laughs> i was going to make a vaccine joke but i do not want to I do not want to add to the uh, misinformation out there or the disinformation yeah. out there. So no chips are in the works here. At device. We are. We are. Bill uh, Gates is not helping us out with anything. We're fine. <laughs> no, no, we are good. Hey, folks, Tom again. Before we start this interview, I wanted to let you know that Device Talks Tuesdays is back starting at 4 p.m. this Tuesday 
Our topic is how new delivery systems are enabling advanced structural heart therapies. Our sponsor is Spectrum Plastics Group. Our panel is fantastic and familiar. We'll hear from Santosh Prabhu. He is a Divisional Vice President of Product Development at Abbott Structural Heart. He's been on the podcast. We'll hear from Stan Rowe, CEO of NXT Biomedical, former CEO of Percutaneous Valve Technologies. He was on the podcast just a few months ago, and they'll combine their voices and insights with Mike Schultz. Mike is the Vice President of Innovation and Development at Spectrum Plastics Group. We'll talk about the new procedures that are driving design. We'll talk about how physicians' transcatheter experiences have changed. Lots to discuss. Find out the entire list of questions and issues we'll talk about. Go to devicetalks.com. Under the Device Talks Tuesdays tab, you can read the entire description. And of course, you can register. It is free. It'll be live at 4 p.m. where you can participate in the question and answer Or, of course, you can listen to it on demand, and even on demand, you can ask questions, and we'll get those to to the right people. So go to devicetalks.com, sign up for this first episode of Device Talks Tuesdays. We'll have another episode the week after that and the week after that. So Device Talks Tuesdays is back. Register at devicetalks.com. Well, Michael Friedrich, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. So I'm uh, eager to understand Distal Motion's story. It's certainly a, a unique approach to surgical robotics, but uh, as always, we'd love to find out about your story. What was your first move into medtech? I understand, you, was it starting a company? Is that how you uh, became involved? Yeah, that's correct. I studied engineering at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology here in Lausanne in the French part of Switzerland. And after my, my studies, I got the opportunity to become the founder of a first medical device venture in the area of uh, blood flow imaging. We mm-hmm. developed a camera to look at blood flow non-invasively. We got that product to C-Mark through FDA clearance, had initial sales and, and later sold it to Novadac, which is now part of Stryker. And that was my first experience in medical devices. Did you go into engineering with MedTech in mind or did it just sort of all come together? It all came together. I always was interested in also the biological life science part of it. And, and, and then it kind of was a natural move. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So how then uh, did distal motion become, uh, become available to you, part of your life? What got you involved with this, uh, with this company? So after my exit of the previous venture, I was looking for a new challenge. I knew that I was not going to stick around with the acquirer. And I was looking around on site uh, on, on campus for uh, new new companies and got to know the founder team at Distal Motion, which at the time was uh, one year old. They've had, they had done a small first uh, seed financing round and they were looking to raise capital. And I said, oh, that's interesting what you guys are doing. Let me bring in the money that I've just uh, earned and let me bring in the money that my investors have just earned and uh, join you. And, and, and that is how, how I got to, to join the team. That's, that's funny. That's a coincidence. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure of the timing exactly, but Stryker would have just purchased Mako around that same time, of course, giving surgical robotics a little boost. And uh, then you, at the same time, or near, nearly the same time, found your own surgical robotics opportunity. So it's funny how things work out. Yeah. So tell us about Distal Motion. What is it that's unique from other surgical robotics companies? Ultimately, put the surgeon at the center of OR again. With traditional robotic solutions, the surgeon must leave the sterile field. He or she must be sitting in a console 
that is not scrubbed in and is kind of forced to do the entire surgery robotically. And, and while that has uh, kicked off the robotic segment in general surgery, urology and, and, and gynecology, certainly also has shown the limitations of robotic surgery because uh, the clearly clinical data shows that robotics is great for suturing, it's great for dissection, it's great to work in confined spaces. But there are other parts of the procedure where using laparoscopic instruments such as vessel seal devices or, or staplers is actually much better when done laparoscopically. And, and we realized that this ability to switch was missing and, and that was ultimately the, the starting point of, of distal motion. So that is the thesis. Talk a bit about the, uh, about the technology. You know, the system is called Dexter, correct? Indeed, Dexter, uh, being very focused on Dexter, dexterity, precision, giving the surgeon the opportunity to use robotic suturing, robotic dissection, robotic articulation of the instruments, uh, robotic ergonomics, and, and robotic endoscope control, which are the true benefits of robotics all while staying scrubbed in and all while being able to switch back to the table within less than 15 seconds. And, and uh, that is a claim that is not just a claim that is on paper, but that's a claim that works in real life surgery. And, and that is something that really empowers surgeons because it gives them the ability to choose the best tool for each part of the surgery. And for some parts, for some of the complex parts of the surgery, this is Dexter with the robotic capabilities. And for other parts of the surgery, clearly laparoscopic instruments are, are superior from a clinical perspective, but also from a time perspective and from an economic perspective. And talk a bit about if you would describe the system. We're on a Zoom call. You're one of the first people I've interviewed who actually had the system we're talking about right behind him. So I've been able to see what it looks like. But for our listeners who unfortunately can't see this video, tell us a bit about how Dexter is, uh, is arranged. Yeah, you have a surgeon console, which is a, a, an open console with two handle uh, hand controls and mounted on, on two master arms that capture the surgeon's hand and wrist movements of the left and right hand. Uh, it's a very non-intrusive small console. That is the first unit. And then you have two patient carts, each carrying one disposable instrument, fully articulated disposable instrument. Those patient carts are standing around the table, depending on the trocar position to make sure that the, the robotic instrument can be held, but also at the same time guaranteeing access and, and real estate for the surgeon, as well as the assistant to continue operating at the table. And then you have a third unit, which is a very small bed rail clipped endoscope control arm, which allows the surgeon sit, seated at the console to also direct the endoscope in the orientation direction of his or her choice. And by the looks of it, the, the size of the unit is to stand about maybe five feet tall. I don't know if I'm having trouble comparing it to something else someone might be familiar with, but what's the size? Both of those carts, and I, I'm, we, I wouldn't know what feet are in here. <laughs> as soon as I said that, I'm like, damn it, I, I, I don't know what it is in meters. But, uh, so but, let's uh, go by uh, meters. Uh, People uh, will figure uh, it out. Let's maybe use an, uh, another uh, comparable. Uh, each of the patient cart has the size of a shorter um, person. I'm kind of average height. It, it reaches my chin, so it's easy to see across it. What is that? Maybe uh, two and a half feet times two and a half feet of, of a footprint, so, so rather small. Those are the two patient cards standing around the table. And I guess the console is, uh, it doesn't go above my, uh, my shoulders. It's, it's very low profile and, and it, it maybe has the table of a small single person uh, desk. Uh, it's, it's very compact. 
Yeah, no, it does look like a, a single person's desk. Although in my mind, I, I was at an arcade with my sons yesterday, and it kind of reminded me of one of those little motorcycle games where you got your hands on the handles of the handlebar, but uh, you're not sitting on a bike, of course, but that sort of size. So how does this work with other surgical robotic systems? Is this meant to be something that will be used by those who can't use those other systems, or is it meant to be used by those who already have them and want this as well? It's meant to be used by the laparoscopic surgeons, which are the majority of the surgeons in, in, the, in the specialties we are in, uh, mm. laparoscopic surgeons that who already have basic training in performing minimal invasive care, that want to remain scrubbed in, and that want to get their hands on robotic capabilities to simplify the complex tasks. This is maybe in contrast to where traditional robotic systems have had their initial success, where they were targeting surgeons with no laparoscopy training, with only open surgery training, and we're helping those surgeons to perform minimally invasive care. We go into, again, those ORs where surgeons already know how to perform minimally invasive care, but want to improve their precision and surgical capabilities. You have C Mark currently. What is your status in, in the U.S.? So we are, we are working on our uh, U.S. approval. We have obtained the C Mark a bit more than a year ago. We've gone through initial clinical use and, and commercial use in Europe in 2021. We are continuing to expand on our commercial footprint here in Europe. And as, as part of that, we are also working on obtaining our US FDA approval uh, uh, to, to then get clearance to enter the US. What are the, the economics of, of this system? Is it Can you share a price and can you identify sort of what the profile of the institution that this might be economically attractive to? So Dexter is really a pragmatic solution. It only has those features in it that are really required. It doesn't have any unnecessary gadgets. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, it is substantially less expensive than those fully robotic solutions where the surgeon is supposed to do everything robotically. And as a result of that, it indeed addresses one of a significant economic adoption barrier that exists today with existing uh, solutions and also essentially all the new incumbents, where robotics is too expensive, irrespectively of how big the hospital is. And, and by being able to simplify it, to focus on the essentials, we can get the solution to an affordable price point where it doesn't only make sense for large university hospitals and, 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 and the, the dominant private hospitals, but where it can then go much, much broader into mid-sized hospitals uh -huh. um, and, and even into peripheral clinics, because it, again, it doesn't have any unnecessary function in it. And the tools that are used by the robotic system, are they, do you develop your own staplers or do you work with existing staplers from other from other companies are you selling both the razors and the razor blades so to speak or or what is the model we have a razor razor blade model but more on the in, in the sense that our instruments are single use mm -hmm. staplers clip appliers uh, certain ligature and advanced vessel sealing instruments are meant to be used from the established J&J uh, &J Medtronic brands, because those are the ones that are clinically superior. Mm -hmm. And because Dexter allows the surgeon to remain scrubbed in and to switch, they can use those staplers that they already trust. It does not make any clinical sense whatsoever to deploy stapling technologies onto a robotic system. It just adds cost and workflow cumbersomeness which no one, no, none of the laparoscopic surgeons really sees value in. And, and so that is not part of our offering. But our instruments are proprietary designs. They're fully articulated. 
they have the full robotic capabilities, but they focus on the suturing and the various dissection tasks where robotics really provides value. You mentioned that you found the company on campus, but what is the origin of the technology? Who first developed it? Who did you run into to offer to commit your resources to their technologies? It was started by a mechanical engineer, PhD, who, who developed a purely mechanical uh, telemanipulator at, this, at the time. It's purely mechanical system to replicate the seven degrees of the surgeon's hand movements into the patient, which is essentially what the robotic system does. And what really intrigued me was the completely, and no pun intended, completely counterintuitive approach. Instead of just going out there and saying, okay, there's a robot out there, let's try to match all the features. The founders, they came in with the complete opposite approach. They said, what's the bare minimum that is truly relevant clinically, all knowing that it would have downstream also huge cost benefits, but it's really on, on a what matters type approach. And I really like that way of thinking. This uh, obviously then we, we, and we, with these mechanical systems, we have been in clinical use in 2015 and 16 to co- as part of the co-development of Dexter. We then learned over time that purely mechanical has its limitation as well. And, and so, so we started to robotize or motorize it uh, starting 2017. And that is ultimately where really Dexter was born. But we have been in clinical use uh, since 2015 and, and have had more than 60 surgical teams from all across Europe that have been part of that journey to define that novel category of robotic surgery. The ability to remain in the sterile field, uh, if you wouldn't mind sort of going into that a bit further, it's, I guess it's something I hadn't really thought much about when discussing surgical robotic systems that the surgeons have to move from one field from a sterile to a non-sterile field. How is it done with other systems and how is that done differently than with Dexter and distal, distal motion? So you need a number of ingredients uh, in order to enable the switch. The first one is that your surgeon console must remain sterile at all times. And that is not just a simple task of putting a, a sterile plastic bag over the master arms because no, no surgeon wants to operate a tool through a sterile drape. So we, we've designed our proprietary technology to make the handles reusable to keep them uh, to keep that great haptic experience of, of using a, ro- a normal surgical instrument while remaining sterile then mm-hmm. uh, another ingredient is that the console must be really open the surgeon wants to be able to know and see what is happening at the table so that he or she can judge at all times whether there is a clinical need to go back to the patient because of, of the procedure step whether an assistant has an issue and needs guidance so the surgeon can quickly stand up and go there and support and particularly when you go into training institutions that is extremely appreciated because you, you, you're, it's part of the curriculum to educate youngsters into performing surgery and you want to be with them at the table to help them. And then I guess another component that is super important is that the way you can fold the robotic arms away so that you can, again, redeploy them re- super quickly. And, and, and the way we've designed our arms is that they fall away from the surgeon while remaining fully aligned with the incision so that the arm always keeps the referential to the trocar and the insertion point uh, when switching between holding an instrument and being in, in standby laparoscopy mode. And that then also has an implication on where you place your patient cards because you want your pla- patient cards to be placed on the opposite side of the, of the table where neither the sur- surgeon nor the assistant nor the scrub nurse nor anesthesia is standing and, and that requires a very 
unique arm design because if you have if you're standing in the way of any one of those aforementioned surgical sta uh, stakeholders then you're disrupting a workflow and, and you're creating pain so so it, it really is a concept that has implications on many aspects of console design but then also on on the way the patient cards and the robotic arms are designed we we for example don't attach to the choke car the instrument arm is not mechanically connected to the choke car like traditional solutions which allows for a rapid reuse of those existing troll cars using laparoscopic instruments there's a number a, a large number of, of design implications when you decide to go hybrid when you decide to go on demand with the other systems out there explain to me if you would the workflow of a surgeon who has to move in and out of the sterile field is it is it a back and forth sort of thing or is it uh, either or how does that typically work with other systems in other systems it, it depends on the on the it first of all, it depends on the procedure. It depends sure. on the surgical team. Yeah. Some surgical teams have highly trained assistants that are equally good as the surgeon that can fire a stapler, but that but that is or a, best, uh, a ligature device. But that is really really a tiny minority. In in most cases, what it implies is that the surgeon stands up from the leaves the console, needs to go and scrub in, which takes a few minutes. And then the robotic arms need to be removed. In, in some device designs, cards even have to be pushed aside. So that's an extra step of, of rolling the cards out of the area where the surgeon needs to stand in order to access the throw cars. And so just explaining it to you or summarizing it to you takes more time mm -hmm. than it takes for Dexter surgeons to switch. That's great. And then just finally, I, I understand you've raised some capital recently. Talk to us a bit about the round. How much have you raised? How, how long were you out there? Curious as to what the process was like. If you can give me an indication of the demand for surgical robotic companies. I mean, obviously, they've been raising a lot of capital. They did raise a lot of capital last year. What was the environment like for fundraising? We're super excited that we have been able to close a $90 million Series E financing round, which was led by Revival Healthcare Capital out of Texas, out of Austin, and joined by a European fund, 415 Capital, uh, as well as existing investors. And uh, for us, it was in, in, in the selection of the investors, it was extremely important to not only get capital, but to get team company builders and, and operators and, and, and a team of board members and, and advisors on board that really intimately know what it takes to build a company to launch a, a highly complex product, which a robotic system is, and to scale that globally. And, and we, we are super happy that with Revival and 415, we've been able to attract this type of talent uh, to the team. So we more see it as an expansion of the team with the upside of a cash injection than, than the other way around, in, in a sense that finding money is one thing, but if you find money that doesn't really know what it takes to build a business, you pay a very high price uh, very mm -hmm. quickly after the, the, the round. Did you have interest from, I'm not looking to have you denigrate other investors, but was there a lot of interest for the company? Did you have a lot of other options, a lot of other term sheets that you could have gone after? What is becoming more and more clear is that this novel category of, of robotic surgery that we are pioneering really creates a new segment. It took a while to, to demonstrate that existing players have missed out on a certain perspective of the market. That's no doubt. It required also time to develop the CMARC product to demonstrate the credibility that we are able to deliver as a relatively, nevertheless, young European, uh, smaller European venture to do that. 
but I, I think the success now uh, demonstrates that we have taken the right uh, decisions. And this is not only extremely resonating with uh, clinicians, with laparoscopic surgeons and, and, and the C-suite of hospitals, but also now being understood by the investment community that this really is an important segment that currently is not addressed. So looking forward, uh, short term, what are your to-do list with this capital now, now in place? What is your first objective and your second? And how will this capital be part of that? So, so ultimately, this, this capital allows us to, to expand on our uh, commercial activities, on our clinical activities in, in Europe, in, in key European markets where we are commercial. And, and at the same time, it allows us to secure the entry ticket to the U.S. Uh, through the FDA approval process. And, and as part of that, it really, or in, in, that, in that sense, it really helps us to accelerate our market entry now that we have successful uh, real-life clinical and commercial experience uh, and, and have been able to show that the product delivers on its expectations. Long-term, what do you see Distal Motion's future looking like? Is this the kind of company that you can build into a larger publicly traded company that has multiple products robotic or not in the medical device space, or is this more something that would fit into a larger medical device company? I would say without the perspective of it being able to walk and, and run standalone uh, through the entire journey, reputable investors such as Revival uh, would not have in, invested into us. And, and so when we look at the market opportunity ahead of us in Europe and the US combined, there's about 10 million surgeries every year, only in general surgery, gynae and urology, where Dexter is the right solution. And, and that is about eight times more than the procedure volume of Intuitive today. So there is definitely a great segment ahead of us. And that is what is exciting about this journey. Are there other companies that are uh, going after this space as well? Yours is the first that I heard of. I'll, I'll admit that, but I'm not yeah, sure. We are not aware of, of any other solution. Um, we really are the, the pioneers in that space. Mm -hmm. Excellent. All right. Terrific. Well, I'm, I'm glad we had the opportunity to talk. Thank you for sharing Distal Motion story. And thank you for joining us in the podcast. Thank you very much, Tom, for the opportunity. We appreciate it. All right. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Chris Newmarker, where are you out there on the social media? You can find me on LinkedIn, Chris Newmarker, just like a new marker. I'm on Twitter at Newmarker. Uh, yeah, always excited to find out about new things. That's great. I wish we had Paul here, Paul Grant here to, uh, to, to, to give our information. He did such a good job last week. I am uh, on Twitter at MedTechTom. I'm on LinkedIn, Tom Salemi, S-A-L-E-M-I. Yes, please do connect with us and uh, please do share this podcast. Lots more folks are sharing the podcast on LinkedIn. I'm very grateful. Like, follow, subscribe. Like, follow, subscribe. Share this episode on, on your social media channels. And uh, please do tag Chris, myself, and uh, our other staff members at, uh, at Device Talks and Mass Device, Sean Hooley and Danielle Kirsch and Jim Hammerend, and of course, Brian Butts. So uh, connect with us all on social media and follow our, uh, our uh, pages, right? Mass Device and Device Talks on LinkedIn. Absolutely. Follow, yep. yeah, follow our pages. Like, yep. Sign up for newsletters. Yeah. yeah, lots going on here. We can we can we can keep you up to date on the news in the med tech industry. So wow, your friends, wow, your friends with your medical device industry knowledge. That's right. <laughs> Where did you hear that? Well, <laughs> I know we're starting to sound like we're on PBS. You know, <laughs> <laughs> 
wow you're you know and, you know and if you and if you give a donation that's to right. us, a hundred dollar donation you get the device talks tote bag <laughs> just, just call the phone number at the bottom of your podcast screen that's right our operators are standing by so oh boy and please do subscribe follow and uh and we are on uh, apple and Amazon and all the all the major podcast channels. So please do subscribe and have these podcasts sent directly to you. And of course, we have our uh, other podcasts as well that will also be sent directly to you. So please do subscribe or go to devicetalks.com to, to find them all. All right. That is a wrap. Chris Newmarker, great job. Thanks for uh, for doing this today. Thanks for the laughs. Anytime. Like, we'll, like, <laughs> we'll try two cups of coffee next time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Thanks for listening, everybody. Join us next week. We'll have another great episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. I'm waiting for you. Take care, everybody. Stay healthy.